Our text for this morning is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, and this is God's holy word. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes, and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear, therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the peoples who are around you. For the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God, lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you, and he destroy you from off the face of the earth. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would bless our reading and our study of your word this morning. And again, I ask, make us those who love you. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Who is the best Bible expert that you know? Think about a name. Maybe it's a Bible teacher that you hear on the internet. Maybe it's a pastor that you respect. Maybe it's an author that you've read. Maybe it's a speaker that you heard at a conference. Maybe it's a seminary professor. Think about the best Bible scholar you can. Now, If you had that Bible teacher, the best one you can think of, tell you that there is one passage in the Bible that's the most important of all the passages, what would you do? Would you you pay attention to that teacher's words? Would Would you want to look and at least see what it is that that teacher says is the most important passage? I want you just to listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew's Gospel from Matthew 22. 
says, one of the people, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first command. The great and first commandment. When a teacher of the law asked the Lord Jesus, what is the most important of all the commands that were in the law? What's the most important Old Testament command? What's the most important scripture command we have thus far in history? Jesus does not appear to have hesitated. Instead, Jesus immediately pointed this teacher to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So this morning, we want to take a moment to see what it was Jesus pointed the teachers to and see what you and I can learn together. Because if Jesus says, this is the greatest commandment, wouldn't you agree this is a commandment we want to know? Yeah. Well, where's it coming from? It's coming from the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the fifth book in the Bible. And it recounts for us the last teachings of Moses to the people of Israel before they went into the promised land. The book's title, Deuteronomy, literally means second law. Deutero, second, namas, law, second law. Why is it called the second law? Well, at the beginning of the wilderness wanderings, Moses delivered the law of God to the people of God at Mount Sinai, right? Remember all that book of Exodus, book of Leviticus stuff? Well, at the end of the wilderness wanderings, nearly 40 years later, with a generation in their graves, Moses delivers the law a second time for the generation that will actually go into the land and possess the promised land. And as Moses revisits the terms of the covenant relationship between God and the people of Israel, Moses takes the people quickly in their minds to the heart of what it means to be the people of God. And that's what we want to see here today. If you're a note taker, there are going to be four things that you can write down for, for points that we're going to find as we walk through this passage. But let's follow along together. Let's see what they are. And let's see if we can sort of unpack what I'm going to call Jesus' favorite Old Testament command. Okay? Point number one, obey God's commands and be blessed. Obey God's commands and be blessed. Look at verses 1 through 3 of Deuteronomy 6. It says, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all of his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey." Now, we haven't reached the commandment that Moses is going to lay on the people. But we have here a little introduction. So verse 1, what's it saying to us? It's saying, here it comes. 
A command is coming. A super important command is on the way. It's telling us the whole old covenant is in view. The commandment, the statutes, the rules. And what's coming is important, Moses says. Don't miss what's coming, Moses says. And as the command comes, even before he gives us the command, Moses shows us what will happen to the people if they grasp and keep this command. What's going to happen if they grasp this command? They will fear God. They will rightly tremble at the concept of who God is. They will rightly give reverence to the name of God. They will rightly honor the Lord God. Well, how, how will they show the right fear of God? They'll show that right fear by keeping God's commands. Verse 2, they will show that fear of God by not only hearing, not only knowing, but doing God's commands. Verse 3, this morning, Manny read to us from James 1. Listen again to 22 through 25. But be doers of the word. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For He looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he is like. How many of you do that, by the way? You look at yourself in the mirror, you turn around, wait, what was that again? Do you do that? That would be weird. That's what the person is like who looks at the law of God and doesn't obey it. He forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. A person who only hears the commands of God, but who does not obey those commands, he is fooling himself. He's tricking himself. He's missing the point and missing it badly. In my house growing up, there was never a time that I can recall that there was not at least one piece of exercise equipment in the house. You guys have exercise equipment in any of your houses? Maybe it was a weight bench. I remember a DP gym pack years gone by. Sometimes there was an exercise bike. Sometimes it was just a treadmill. But I can tell you this. In every instance, the equipment began to serve the same purpose. Eventually, once dad got bored with the particular machine, it ended up being used as a place where things could pile up. Or, man, exercise equipment, they can hold more clothes that need to be put away than any closet in your home. Is this true or not? How many of you believe you can hang one, I mean, it's all over those arms and things. There's just room for clothes. Do you guys know that a whole room full of exercise equipment will not make you one bit healthier unless you use it? And I mean, think about it. 
How many of you have video libraries that have DVDs or Blu-rays of exercise, people exercising? <laughs> Do those videos make you healthier? <laughs> I mean, I could sit and watch a bunch of those babies. <laughs> I don't look better when I'm done. See, and it's like this. A whole head full of God's commands only will serve to condemn you before God if you do not fear God by keeping God's commands. If you know God's word calls on you to believe in Jesus and turn from your sin to find salvation, that knowledge only helps you if you repent and believe. If you are a believer... And you know you're not supposed to lie. If you know lying dishonors God, is that helpful? Not unless you become an honest person for the glory of God. If you know you're supposed to share the good news of Jesus with the lost, that is not at all helpful unless you actually do share the gospel with the lost. Christians, what James said, that's what Moses was saying to Israel in Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 3. If the nation of Israel wanted to please God, if they wanted to see God's blessing, they needed to both know and do what God said. Fathers were to teach obedience to their children, who would teach obedience to their children, who would teach obedience to their children, and on and on and on was the intent of the Lord. Now, I want to be sure that we're not confused here. Nobody here should be confused. No person in history or now is ever made right with God simply by following the rules. No person has ever been forgiven of their sins just because they did some good deeds. You don't get right with God by performing any religious ritual. No. The only way for you to be forgiven by God is to come to God through faith in Jesus Christ. But once you do come to God through faith in Jesus Christ, you will, if you wish to experience the joy of the Christian life, you will learn to obey the commands of the Lord. And let's add, maybe you're here this morning and you haven't made up your mind about, do I really want to yield my life to God through Jesus? Do I really want to come to God through Jesus? Listen to me. You need to stop messing around. It is not enough for you to know what you ought to do, right? You're only going to be saved when you let go of your life, let go of ruling your life and come to Jesus for grace. You will only be saved when you see the truth that you have no hope apart from Jesus and when you stop trying to think that you can make it work on your own. But once you let go, once you fully place your trust in Jesus, then you're going to know this. You're going to know that God has saved your soul and God has made you into a new creation and God has made it possible for you to find joy in the perfections of God. Moses told the people, if they would obey God, they would be blessed in the new land into which they were headed. God, God promises that to the people of Israel back in Deuteronomy 6. And guess what? God would make the very same kind of promise to you here today. Now, 
He is not promising you health, wealth, and prosperity in this life. You know that's true, right? I mean, how many of you even today would be like, you know what, I would like to feel a little bit better this morning, right? That's not the promise God made you, though. God promises you and me that if we love Him, if we obey Him in Jesus Christ, you know what we're going to do? We're going to experience the life God created us for from the very beginning. God will grant you joy, perfect joy, soul-satisfying life, changing joy if you would learn to find your joy in the glory of God. In Psalm 1611, David writes, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. You like that idea? Do you want that kind of joy? How many of you are pro-joy people? How many of you are like, Nah, I don't really need any more joy. I'm, I'm pretty much bubbling over already. I'm not hearing a lot of takers on that. What do we do? You need to be someone who has come to Jesus Christ if you want joy. And you need to be someone who begins to obey the commands of God if you want joy. Because God made you for His glory and you will find joy when you give glory to the God who made you. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul says it this way. Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. You guys know that, right? Then he says, This is not your own doing. You didn't do it. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. It's a pity that we stop reading right there so often. Because it says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Good works never save you. Never. But our salvation includes the purpose that we will do good works once we are saved. God promised the people in the law His blessing when they would obey His commands. And you and I will find blessing from God when we obey God because to obey God is to glorify God and the glory of God is why you exist. So yes, Christians, believe in Jesus for salvation and obey God and His commands to be blessed. Second point here. We're getting to the command. Second point, love the one true God. Love the one true God. Verses 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. There is what Jesus said is the most important command of the entire Old Testament. If you want to summarize it, you might say it like this. Listen up. There's one true God. Love Him with everything you've got. Hear, O Israel. What's about to be said is important. The Lord Yahweh is our God. He's not one of many gods, by the way. He is one God. He is the one God. He is unique. There is no other being who comes even close to being the Lord. 
He is God, the God, the only God, the one God. Now, wait a minute. If we say there's one God, does this contradict anything that we've said about the Trinity? Didn't we sing that today? God in three persons, blessed Trinity. There's no contradiction there at all. The Lord is the one true God, and the Lord, the one true God, exists in three persons that we know as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. None of the three persons of the Godhead is the other person of the Godhead, yet none of these three is anything other than God himself, the Lord, the one true God. And by the way, if you worship any God who is not God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, you do not worship the God of the Bible because he has revealed himself as the one true God. In John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And those two verses, speaking about Jesus as the Word of God, say that Jesus was both with God in the beginning, and that he, in fact, is God from the beginning. There's one God. This one God is revealed to us as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. But the point that I want you to see here, and the point that, that Moses wanted Israel to see, is there is no other God than the Lord, the triune God of the Bible. The only God that any human being has ever been allowed to worship without guilt is the Lord. Any worship of any other deity that is not the Lord is a rebellion against the God who made us. There is no salvation in any other religion. There is no salvation in non-religion. There is no salvation in any other deity. There is no salvation in anything you can do on your own. No, there is one God. There is only one God. And we must follow the one true God and that God alone. And, and the call for us to follow God, it's expressed in more than just the call to religious obedience here. The commandment says that you are supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. You're not just to do the things that God says, although you are supposed to do the things that God says. You are supposed to love the Lord. You are to find God to be your treasure. You are to find God to be the source of your joy. You are to treasure and be devoted to the Lord your God with everything you've got, everything you've got deep down all the way through. Now, we want to be careful here in attempting to discern a difference in the three categories. I, pastors are tempted to make a three-point sermon out of this. Point one, love the Lord your God with all your heart. Point two, love the Lord your God with all your soul. Point three, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Right? Wouldn't that, doesn't it sound like a beautiful sermon? Put a poem in and you're done, right? But the point is not from this passage that you're supposed to think about, I wonder if I'm loving God with my heart or my soul right now. I wonder if I'm loving God with my soul or my might right now. What do I do with those New Testament commands that bring in mind or strength? See, the point is this. Love God with every aspect of who you are. Love God in how you think. Love God in how you feel. Love God in what you say. Love God in what you do. Love God in where you go. Love God in why you go there. 
Love God with everything you've got is the command. The contrast would be to think that you could love God in a limited way. That's the opposite of what God's telling us here. He's not saying, oh, love him with the part of your life that you feel like letting him have. God is saying, you can't ignore me with any part. There's no part of your life you get to keep to yourself. There's no off-limits corridor in your life. That doesn't work. This is an all-or-nothing sort of thing. What are some of the words we use for God? You call him God. You call him Father. You call him the Lord, right? What does Lord mean? I understand what that Lord in the Old Testament sometimes is there for us as, as, a, as a sign that the covenant name of God was used, but what does the word Lord mean? Lord means master, ruler, king, boss, right? If God is Lord, there is no way he can be partly Lord. I've heard people say, either Jesus is Lord of all, or he's not Lord at all. And for sure, a major point behind the call to love God with your heart, soul, and might is a call for you to be committed to love the Lord in every single last aspect of your being. Nothing can be off limits. Everything, absolutely everything, belongs to the Lord. So, wouldn't this be a great point just for you to stop and ponder your life? I should let you break out in little groups and just think about this for about 30 minutes. Where is it easy for you to declare Jesus Lord? Maybe, maybe you are really good at making Jesus Lord on Sunday morning between 1045 and noon. Good for you, I'm glad. But how are you at submitting to Jesus on Monday at about 7 a.m.? Or Wednesday at noon? Is Jesus your Lord when somebody cuts you off in traffic? Does it look like Jesus is your Lord when somebody asks you one of those questions you really don't want to answer? Does that start painting the picture well enough for you? You know your life, and you know where you want Jesus to look, and you know where you would like to shut the door and say, Jesus, this is my room. Don't you? We're to love the Lord our God with everything we've got. So ask the Lord to help you today to sincerely consider what aspect of my life does not look like I love the Lord. Ask him, God, help me to repent because I want to love you in every part, including the part that I want to hide. Well, how do we love God better? How do we do this? You know what the next verses tell us? Isn't that nice that God would give us a command and then tell us how to do it? Point number three, make the commands of God central 
to every aspect of life. Make the commands of God central to every aspect of life. Look at verses 6 through 9. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. When God commands his people to love him, he immediately commands them to love him by loving his word. This is a common biblical principle, isn't it? Psalm 1, 1 and 2. Owen and I were talking about this psalm this week. And he learned how to say it in Sunday school, even. Right? It says, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in what? Who knows? That's right. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates when, Owen? Day and night. That's pretty good, isn't it? Psalm 119, 62 just says, um, At midnight I rise to praise you because of your righteous rules. When's the last time you thought, I need to get up out of bed in the middle of the night and tell God thank you for this word? Or verse 72 it says, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. God says, you want to love me. You love my word. By the way, what do you think the opposite of that is then? If you don't love the word of God, you don't love the God of the word. And loving God's word must necessarily include obedience to his word, right? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, John 14, 15. And all of this, friends, is part of what God is saying when he tells the people, I want you to bind my commands to your heart. But notice, it's not just your heart where the word of God is supposed to be found in your life in this passage, right? In verses 8 and 9, it says that the word of God is to be on the people's heads, their hands, their doors, and the town gates. Now, some would say, well, that's the command for the people to wear phylacteries. You guys know that word? It's like a little pouch that they would wear on their wrist, or some guys would bind it right up here. They wear like a little headband with a little pouch on it. His little pouch had a little scripture verse in it, and they were just showing you how much they loved God by having a little pouch on their head. And I guess it would take some love to wear a pouch on your head, now that I think that through. But this is not literally a command for someone to wear a phylactery. It's a command that you have the words of God present everywhere. See, God's word is to preside over what you think, your head. God's word is to preside over what you do, your hands. 
God's word is to be the, the clear ruling principle in your home, your doorposts, right? God's word is to be that which governs and rules over the Israelites' towns, your city gates. So no, having the word on your doorposts or on your gates is not a call for Israel to make a quick trek to the local Habi Labi. It's not about just writing verses down. It's about the word being central. And how does the word of God become central in our lives? Again, it's not through you writing it down. It's not through you putting it on a plaque. It is through the fact that your conversation is saturated with word. You are supposed to be talking about the word of God and the ways of God as a family. Whether you're waking up, whether you're going to bed, whether you're sitting down to dinner, whether you're on your way to work, whether you're on your way to school, you are to invest in your family by constantly bringing up the things of God. It's supposed to be at home where the word of God is passed from generation to generation to generation. If you're a dad here today, dads, it is your job to see to it that the word of God reigns in your house. It is your job to see to it that your children hear the word of God. Maybe it's at the dinner table. Maybe it's at their bedsides when they're little ones. Maybe it's in the car as you're driving along. Maybe it's around a campfire. They need to hear the word of God from you, dads. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, don't miss this. We love God by keeping his commands. And your children will not know how to come to Jesus or they will not know how to obey Jesus if they don't have somebody around them teaching them, bringing them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Now, dads, you cannot make your children believe. There are days I wish we could. See, only God can make your children surrender to Him. Only the Lord can do that work. But you can be sure of this, dads. You can be sure they know what the Word says. You can be sure that they know what the gospel is. You can be sure that they know what the standard of God is. You can be sure that every child in your home knows this. We are sinners by nature. We need God's forgiveness because of Jesus. Believe in Jesus and turn from your sins. That's the only way for you to be saved. Dads, your kids need to know that. And maybe you're not a dad here today. Maybe, maybe the dad in your house is not active in the faith of the family. The call here is still that we make the word of God a central aspect of everything that we do. No matter what you're doing, you are to always be taking your mind and the minds of the people around you back to the word of God, back to the word of God, back to the word of God. His commands, his great deeds, his mighty acts, his gospel. Bring it up, bring it up, bring it up, bring it up all the time. Last point now, and we'll be done. Be careful not to forget God in times of prosperity. Be careful not to forget God in times of prosperity. 
Look at 10 through 15. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build, and houses full of all good things that you did not fill, and cisterns that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, and when you eat and are full, then take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. It is the Lord your God you shall fear, him you shall serve, and by his name you shall swear you shall not go after other gods the gods of the peoples who are around you for the Lord your God in your midst is a jealous God lest the anger of the Lord your God be kindled against you and he destroy you from off the face of the earth now this is a paragraph that isn't always studied when we study this commandment but I think it's important it is simple but it's crucial you remember God said if you obey me I'm going to bless you remember God saying that to them Obey my commands, you're going to be blessed. Follow me, you're going to get your land. I'm going to bring you into the land of milk and honey. Israel, you're going to cross the river. You're going to experience blessing from God. That's what God said to the nation. But I give you a warning when I give you my blessing. God says to these people, don't forget me in the middle of your blessings and then start turning to false gods. Because if they should forget God, they will then suffer the wrath of God. Does it feel strange to you to think that prosperity is dangerous? Well, let me ask you, when do you pray most? Isn't it true that when we're going through hard times, boy, we pray. There's all kinds of little spiritual hashtags on our Facebook when we want people to think about Jesus because we're hurting, right? We are quick to pray when we hurt. We remember God. We call on God. We pray. We may fast. But you know what? It's in those times of success. It's those times when things are going good. That's when we're most apt to suddenly start living like, pretending like we did it all on our own and we don't need God's intervention. No, thank you, Lord. I've got it from here. And this dishonors God. It is ugly. It is sinful. It is plain wrong to receive the blessing of God and then for you to pretend like you blessed yourself through your strength. So when this passage gets ready to close, Christian, don't forget this. Think about your life and be sure that you do not forget God in the good times. Because I know you pray when times are hard. But learn from the warning that God gives Israel. Don't receive the goodness of God and then pretend like you deserved it. Like you did it on your own. Like God had nothing to do with it. Being thankful is a great way to worship God. Being humble is a way to show the world that God blessed you for God's own glory. Be careful not to forget God in times of prosperity. You know, as a pastor, I, 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 do, I do weddings from time to time. Not super often, but, but from time to time. And when you do weddings as a pastor, you, you always, if you get a chance, you take people through a little pre-marriage counseling. But I always tell folks, man, I'm, I'm glad you're willing to meet with me for a couple sessions before you're married, but I would so much rather you meet with me for several sessions after you're married. Because you all need way more post-marriage counseling than you all need premarital counseling. But have you ever noticed, when do you people call me? I'm just getting real with y'all now. You know when you call me? When everything's messed up? We've been fighting and yelling and screaming at each other for the last eight months. Pastor, fix it tonight. 
Sure. <laughs> then I'm going to ride my unicorn to Lekowitz's house and we'll do something else. <laughs> Strangely enough, I can't do that. How much better would it be if we sat down with the Word of God from time to time when things are going well and found those little, what does it say in Song of Solomon? Cast the little foxes that would come in and spoil our vineyard. Wouldn't it be nice if we worked on catching the foxes before you were in a crisis? Does that make sense? How easy is it, friends, to forget the Lord when you feel like things are going pretty good? Let's not do that. So as we draw to a close, is there anything God's challenged you to do this morning? Obey God's commands and be blessed, right? Our true spiritual happiness does not come in ourselves. We find joy when we glorify God by hearing and doing His Word. That may be the thing right now. Love the Lord by loving His Word and, and, and be blessed. That's great. Number two, love the Lord your God, right? There's nobody else out there to love and obey anyway. Either you love and serve the Lord or you battle against the Lord. Do you understand that? There's no middle ground. Either you love God or you're fighting God. Can I tell you this? If you're fighting God, you won't win. He's bigger than you. For some of you, that may be a call that says, you know what? It is time for you to stop fighting the Lord, turn from your sin, place your faith in Jesus Christ, and find salvation. For others of you, this is a reminder that God wants you to love him with all that you've got, every aspect of your being, no part off limits. Maybe it's make the commands of God central to every aspect of life. There is no part of your life, again, over which God is not Lord, and it is crucial that God's word is at the center of what you do and how you think and how you function. When you wake up, when you work, when you talk, when you eat, when you rest, God's word should be central, driving you toward the glory of God. And parents, teach this stuff to your kids. Make this at the center of the life of your home, everything you do, center it on God and the word of God. But be careful not to forget God in times of prosperity because God blesses us beyond anything we could ever imagine. Let's never dishonor that same God by pretending like we're okay now. We can take it from here. We did it all ourselves. Give God the glory that he richly deserves. And again, it might be that God is calling you here to surrender and become the child of God today. God the Father sent God the Son, Jesus, to this earth to live a perfect life and die to pay the price for every single sin God would ever forgive. There is no sin that's ever going to be forgiven other than those under the blood of Jesus. But Jesus covered every sin God will ever forgive. And God says in his word, if you will come to Jesus, God will forgive you of your sins and make you into his child. So why not? Why not love God by coming to him and receiving his grace and learning to begin a brand new life as his child because what you're going to find out is that God sovereignly, gloriously rescued you. And then you can love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Let's pray together, friends. God, you are good. Your word is good. And we do need to love you more. We do need to love you better. We do need to surrender to your word more. And there are people here who need to surrender their lives to you.
My prayer is this, God. You will take your powerful, almighty, glorious Holy Spirit, you will take your powerful, mighty, life-changing word, and you will accomplish your great, glorious will in our lives. And I don't know that I can pray anything better than, Lord, make us love you. That's our prayer in Jesus' holy, holy name. Amen.